You're listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached during the online worship service of Central United Methodist Church. We are located in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to join us for our live worship experience through Facebook or Zoom every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Visit www.cumcballston.org for details. There you can also learn more about our congregation where we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. Today's scripture is taken from Psalm 13 from the New Revised Standard Version. Prayer for deliverance from enemies to the leader, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, for I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Prayer poem, Perfecting, written by Bishop Latrell Easterling. Perfecting God, as we walk further into your light and your word manifests more deeply within us, may we come to understand that absence is not always enough. The absence of hate is good, but the presence of love perfects what is good. The absence of evil is good, but the presence of righteousness perfects what is good. The absence of violence is good, but the presence of peace perfects what is good. The absence of scarcity is good, but the presence of abundance perfects what is good. The absence of discrimination is good, but the presence of justice perfects what is good. Transform us as only you can, perfecting God. Mold us and make us after your will, while we are waiting, yielded and still. Amen. This is our second week in the worship series, Roll Down Justice. It is inspired by the words from Amos, chapter 5, verse 24. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Amos was a prophet, and when you're a prophet, you're likely to make some people mad. That's exactly what happened to the prophet Amos. He was bringing a word of comfort to those who were afflicted, but he was also bringing a word of affliction to those who were comfortable. You see, Amos was a prophet in a time of extreme prosperity, and he was bringing a word to those prosperous people 
that they needed to be much more aware of what they were doing to injure those in their community who were poor. Amos spoke out for economic justice. He spoke out on behalf of the poor to tell the rich to stop engaging in practices of greed that was oppressing other people. It certainly did not make him popular with the prosperous. But Amos was faithful to the word God gave him to proclaim, and his words have stood the test of time. They call us today to look at our role in perpetuating injustices in our world. Elie Wiesel said, quote, There may be times when we are powerless to prevent injustice, but there must never be a time when we fail to protest. End quote. A protest over injustice is one way to give voice to those whose voices have been silenced. Part of protesting is lamenting. And this morning, our scripture reading from Psalm 13 is a lament. Over half of the liturgical psalms that the Israelites would sing were songs of lament. They were penned in a time of exile and persecution. The poets trying to give voice to the pain of the people. This morning we hear the question, how long? This question could evoke the longing of children sitting in the back seat of a vehicle, anxious to arrive at their destination. It could also encompass the aches and pains that many live with daily. How long evokes great suffering and sorrows of life. How long captures our frustrations and our fears, both for ourselves and for ones we love. That question, how long, has been on my mind a lot lately. How long, O oh Lord, will we live with the ravages of the COVID-19 pandemic? How long, O oh Lord, will anti-Asian hate crimes continue in our nation? How long, O oh Lord, will injustice continue to be routinely perpetrated against Black people in our communities? How long? until we can once again gather together for worship in one space, in body, not just in spirit? How long until we can sit down together at a meal with friends and strangers welcoming them as a guest? How long will we allow our siblings of color to endure the emotional, mental, physical, and economic effects of the pandemic of racism? How long will we continue to ignore our contributions to the many injustices in this world? How long? How long, O oh Lord, how long? We raise this prayer, this question, this petition to God. And as we listen for God's response, so often we are met with silence. 
And in that silence, if we tune our hearts, we will hear the cries of others asking, How long, O Lord? We may not hear God's answer that we want. We may not hear God's answer that we think we need. We will not hear God's answer sometimes, and in the silence, we may instead discover that God is saying that we are the answer to someone else's cry of how long. In our baptismal covenant, God has promised to be with us. In the midst of life, God is with us. This promise is not that when we pour out our hurt and our hearts, God will immediately fix what's happening. The promise is that God will be with us. The promise is not that God will cure disease and stop pain and suffering. The promise is that God is with us. God does not cause suffering. God does not cause pain. God does not send disease. Rather, God is with us in the midst of the brokenness of our lives. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And sometimes, Life is incredibly hard and we lament. We recently have lamented passing the very sad milestone that over 500,000 people have died from COVID-19. In the midst of the grief that surrounds us, God is close at hand. God is there in hospital rooms and by gravesides. God is there in the wee hours of the night when fear and grief hit so hard and fast, we almost lose our breath. God is there as we weep and mourn and lament. God is there when life hurts, when loved ones die, when jobs are lost, when test results are not what we wanted, in the midst of divorce, disease, depression, addiction, miscarriage, all the many sources of pain, God is there. And because God is there, we can ask, How long, O oh Lord? We name our hurt, our fear, our longing for a better tomorrow. How long, O oh Lord? We acknowledge that this world is not right. How long, O oh Lord? And God hears our cry. Sometimes we receive a response of a peace that passes all understanding. And sometimes we sit in the silence waiting for God to answer our cry. And that is when we hear our neighbors also call out, how long, O oh Lord? When we hear the cry of our neighbors, it may be that God is inviting us to be the answer 
to their prayers, their cries, their questioning, their laments. So today, as we bring our own laments to God in worship, may we open our hearts to the possibility that God is calling us to be an answer to the lament of someone else. Through our baptism, we are given the freedom and power to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. How will we put those words into action and show hope to this world? May we allow our practice of lament to create safe space for others to share their pain and their suffering. May our practice of lament allow us to connect more deeply and fully and authentically with God who is with us. May our lament be more than one moment of tears, but become a practice to allow us to grow our empathy, to grow in connection and compassion with others who also grieve, who also suffer, who also cry out, how long? May our lament lead us to work on behalf of others who cry out, and may our empathy grow to compassionate action. Last summer, our nation heard the cry from many who lamented, that in this nation it does not appear as though black lives matter. There is so often violence and discrimination against people who live in a black or brown body, and it is time and time again that the communities of people of color lament the trauma and violence of this world. The cry of lament. Black lives matter. The Alexandria District recently shared a video, and it's called Real Talk, Real People, Clergy Experiences of Racism. And I believe that empathy can grow when we are in relationship with others and we hear their laments, their cries, and their stories. So this morning, I'm going to take this opportunity to introduce you to four of my ministerial colleagues they are going to be reflecting on the question, why is it so difficult for our churches to embrace the phrase, Black Lives Matter? We'll hear from four voices. First, Reverend Lindsay Bainham. Next, Bishop Pete Weaver. Then, Grace, Reverend Grace Hahn. And finally, Reverend Brian Brown. Nothing, nothing bothers me more than the argument that if I say Black Lives Matter, that means everyone else's lives do not matter. That frustrates me to no end. Um, because to proclaim that is to say and to acknowledge the deep wounds and hurt and pain of a particular group of people and to acknowledge that we see you. <laughs> I mean, I think scripturally to say, I'm I, I got to pause on the 99 for a second and go find the one. <laughs> um, and I think in this season, especially when the Black Lives Matter 
movement and leadership and energy really ramped up, it was like, oh, well, fine. All lives matter. Yes. And all lives are not being murdered. (laughs) All lives are in, in this way, right? In this particular instance. And so I think it's divisive because, um, it folks instantly hear that and say, well, what about me? Well, maybe it's not about you. Right. Um, and I think in our churches, I wish I could say for all of our churches that black lives matter. I think, uh, for many whites, a part of our sin is that we only see the culture and we only see need that is white in in color. Our empathy only goes that far because that's where primarily our relationships are. And sadly, when Dr. King said that 11 o'clock is the most segregated hour in America, it's still basically true. And and so these relationship building things are critical uh, to even begin to have a notion as to what black brothers and sisters and and other persons of color experience. Um, And you can read about it in books, but unless you have sat with and heard the cry and been there, uh, and I think that was with George Floyd's video, the video of George Floyd, that took us as close as some white people have ever been to the pain of a black person. Again, recognizing that our the first chapter of the Bibles about God created humanity and God's own image in the divine image, God created them. We are all in that same image. And to resist the resistance to Black Lives Matter is actually a resistance to the full embrace and implications of the fact that we are all in God's image. That's where the all is. And God created great diversity, but all of it in God's image. And um, so to push back against uh, Black Lives Matter, for me, it's even it's 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 even more than pushing back against human things. It's, It's pushing back against God's creation mattering. Uh, And it's an affront to God and and Jesus Christ, of course. So one of my observations is that we lack a a common theological language uh, to talk about some of these difficult issues, especially around race and racism. So um, we often, um, so the only language we have is often um, secular politicized language. And so even when we try to have conversations, we get tripped up on the language that people are using. So when when people say, you know, Black Lives Matter, there's a certain assumption about what kind of political affiliation that you might have or what kind of orientation that you might have. And same with when we say all lives matter, then we make this assumption about um, what kind of political affiliation we should, we should have. And so that we even struggle to have a meaningful conversation uh, because we lack a, a common theological language. And I, I, I wonder if one of the um, roles of the church is um, to talk and teach some common theological language that can help us to have some really meaningful conversations that are at the root of this. Um, like B- Bishop Weaver was saying, um, we're talking about Imago Dei. We're talking about created humanity being created in the image of God. So that when we dehumanize someone, 
um, because of the color of their skin, because of their gender, because of their you know, sexual orientation. We um, are not honoring the image of God in another. I remember being approached several times and asking, uh, why don't I say all lives matter? And uh, starting at that point, uh, simply clarifying that all lives matter, but currently all lives, as Lindsay said, are not uh, strategically uh, being marginalized and killed. And um, uh, that uh, was an awakening for me as I looked at some of the relationships that um, I have in different parts of the country, uh, those that were offended by, in the church, Black Lives Matter. Um, so a lot of individuals that I knew at a certain level. And uh, so for me, the understanding moving forward, the, the need for the relationships to be, to be made, the need for the stories to be told, that, that human um, proximity needs to be there in order to bring about some education. The stories, I believe, are what are the most transforming, that in uh, 2020, uh, uh, my son uh, goes out, get a bite to eat late at night, and to ask to step outside because he looks like somebody and he's with his friend. Uh, my, my niece, uh, she's uh, sitting in front of her house, right, um, with her fiance, right? Uh, and in front of their house, uh, the police pulls up behind her and says, let me see your uh, registration and license. And uh, she tells him I'm in front of my house and uh, he's not letting back, not hearing anything, getting ready to call for backup. And these stories that uh, go on, uh, one of our high school students uh, or just graduated tells a story of being in, in middle school and having a police put her, her, his knee on her back um, for something that um, was obviously uh, an act of racism. And to understand that uh, these events are normative. And so when you start from a place of what about me, I think there has to be uh, uh, dialogue and then um, uh, some move towards, uh, you know, what does change look like? Fairfax County is actually doing some good work around um, equity and equality when it comes to what they're using um, root cause analysis. And there's seven principles around that uh, where you get to the root cause and take action in that. Um, but the seventh of those principles is authentic relationships. And so at some place, we've got to create proximity. Did you hear the lament from Reverend Brian Brown? The cry of how long that we heard in the stories of injustice that he shared? A glimpse at the everyday injustices experienced in our nation by people who are black and brown? Did you hear the lament in the voice of Reverend Han, as she shared the lack of theological language that we could embrace when we remember Imago Dei, that we are all created in the image of God. Did you hear the lament in the voice of Bishop Weaver as he shared 
that all creation is good. And that when we do not embrace the goodness of all creation, we do not embrace God and Christ's love. And did you hear the lament from Reverend Lindsay Bainham about her experience that in Virginia and specifically in United Methodist churches in Virginia, it is not always true that black lives matter. As counterintuitive as it may seem, the work of lament can become our fuel for empathy. If we can listen to people who share their laments, our empathy can grow. And as our empathy grows, we can be moved to compassionate action. Remember that we are not helpless against the injustices of this world. It can feel overwhelming to think of everything that is broken and hurting. But we have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us and through us. We have the freedom and power to name injustice. And when we cry out and lament, we can expose injustice to the light. We can allow our grief to motivate us to move us to compassionate action. We can allow our grief and lament to break open our hearts. And when our hearts are broken open, it is then that we can allow God's light and love to live in and through us so that truly justice will roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Thanks be to God.